All right. All right, we're in Genesis. I kind of had it in my mind. I wanted to go into 6, 7, 8, and 9 and talk about the flood, but I really need to kind of make sure we're sured up in 1 through 5, uh, chapters 1 through 5 of Genesis. There's so much here in 1 through 5 that pretty much sets the course of all of Scripture. This is the beginning. That's what the word Genesis means, right? It's, it's, uh, the word means beginning. So it, it's the beginning of the story, right? So what we're going to find out, and we've been talking about a little bit, that overlaid in all of these stories, certain words and pictures and ideas that just keep replicating themselves all throughout the Bible story. So we'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. Just want you to be able to see some of that. So we're going to do a little bit of review. I need your input tonight, all right? So you're going to be, talk to me? Y'all going to talk to me a little bit? Yes, I, I hope so. All right. So now, the first section, you know, the Bible, we just keep going over things over and over and over and over again. Uh, the Bible's meditation literature. It's not something we just read. It's not like a, a great novel that you read and you got the story down and it's good and you're good to go. But the Bible's meditation literature. And the scripture says this. Remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his or her delight is in what? The law of the Lord, and in his law, they meditate both day and night. And that person who meditates on the law day and night will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, who leaf will not wither, and they will bear fruit in season. That's, that's the kind of person we want to be. So but we, the idea is it's meditation literature. It's, you got you to think about these things. I promise you, I promise you, you will never, ever, in your, all of your life studies, you will never, ever get to the bottom of the, of the scriptures. There's always something else to be seen, I promise you. And now that's what we would expect. If it's, if it's the word of the God who created everything, we would expect it to be something like that, wouldn't we? All right, so now let's, let's just kind of look at this first section. I want you to, to, to memorize this. It's not that much, but I want you to memorize this sequence, just putting the story together. You know, before, before the Bible was chapter and verse, it, which that happened somewhere, there's a little confusion about it, the 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th century when they added chapters and verses to, to the uh, scriptures. Uh, at first it was just scrolls, right? It was just scrolls written down in stories. So how did they memorize it? Well, they were memorizing the sequence of the stories, all right? Kind of like you would uh, a, another good story. All right, so, so in Genesis 1, it's the creation story, right? Remember that. What, what can you tell me about the creation story? Just off the top of your head, boom, just like that. It's good. That, that's repeat. It repeats several times over until the very end. And God said, it's very good. All right. What else can you tell me about the creation story? He created six days. Six days God created the heavens and the earth. What else? And the seventh day he rested. Right? Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them. In his image and likeness, he created them, male and female, right? <laughs> what was that? Did I just get electrocuted or something? I, I'm just checking myself. I didn't get tased, did I? <laughs> That's right. That's what it sounded like. All right. So the creation story. This is, this is our creation story, all right? Who is our creator? Well, God Almighty. God, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, then you get to Genesis 2. It talks a little bit more about creation. It kind of zooms into a specific place. Where does it zoom in? Eden. Eden. 
We're calling that the Eden story. Now, some people call it the, the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2. But just to kind of split it out so we know what we're dealing with, Genesis 2. What, what do we know about Eden? What was Eden? What is that all about? God took a place. There's a place called Eden, and God had a garden in Eden. And whose home was that? And it says there he rested. That's kind of an interesting idea in Hebrew. The English kind of translates it differently. But he rested man in the Garden of Eden. It was a place of rest. It was a place of work. It's interesting. It's a place of work, but it's also a place of rest. God put them in Eden. What, what else did we find out about Eden? What, what did God do? There were two trees. Mm-hmm. They, gonna, they, they play big, don't they? They play real big. What were the two trees that's mentioned? There's a bunch of trees that's mentioned, actually, but two specific names were given. What were the two names of the trees? The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, what did the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represent? It represented like going your own way kind of thing, like, like throwing off God's leadership and going your own way, doing things your own way, right? That's, that's where sin originated, through that choice. What, there was something that was not good in Eden. What was? Well, there was that too. But I'm, it specifically said <laughs> the, the woman you gave me. That's that's a, that's quoted out of out of kind. You on your own on that deal. <laughs> God said, God said something wasn't good. That's the first time it said anything wasn't good. What was the thing that God said was not good? It's not good that man be alone. I will make a helper that is suitable. Remember, we talked a little bit about the helper that's going to come and complement. And where Adam's strong, he's going to transfer that strength to her. And where she's strong, she's going to help transfer that strength to him. So, uh, so that's the Eden story. We get a lot of stuff. What did, what did Adam do in, in the Eden? What, what else did he do before, before Eve came on? The, he named the animals, right? Animals started coming to him, all that kind of thing. So we see things in harmony, all right? So now let's go to, to chapter 3. Chapter 3 is where it all begins to kind of spiral down. We call that the fall. Or maybe even better idea is the failure. This is where they failed to live up to what God had intended and what God planned, all right? So what do we know about the fall? What happened? How did Genesis 3 start out? Starts talking about the serpent, right? And it, what does it say about the serpent? That he was more subtle, or so, he's more crafty. He was more deceptive than any other God's creation, right? Any other beast of the field. And Adam and Eve took the bait, didn't they? He, what, what was his challenge to them? This is your review. He had got him to question what God said, right? What, what God, did God really say that? You know, you won't eat this. You'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Hmm. And they ate and they fell. And what, what happened after they ate? What instantly happened? Fig tree, yeah, that's right. They, they saw themselves naked and they, for the first time, they heard God coming and what did they do? They hid. Right? Hmm. And people have been hiding ever since from God, hadn't they? And people also been cutting down fig trees and making themselves leaves ever since, too. I got a sermon I did years and years ago called Fig Tree Religion. Because that's what we do. Because if, if, if Christ is not going to cover your sins, 
you're, you're going to find some other kind of way to deal with things. And that's, that kind of thing produces self-righteousness. That's where they're trying to fix their problem themselves. It doesn't work. And besides, fig leaves are a little itchy. <laughs> they, 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 don't, they, they don't last long. <laughs> anyway. All right, so there's the, the fall. All right, now, in Genesis 4, and there's lots more detail there, obviously, but, but we, you get the gist of it. Genesis 4 is the story of the two brothers, Cain and Abel. All right. What happened in the Cain and Abel story? What were they doing? What were they, what were they coming to do? They were offering sacrifices to God. And one sacrifice was good and accepted, and the other was... Rejected because sometimes well, God just doesn't take any old thing you give Him. He wants your best and He wants your heart in it. And he checks your motives at the door, doesn't He? He doesn't care if He'd rather you give ten cents with a good heart than a million dollars manipulatively or, or in wrong motives. You know what I'm talking about? Now preachers wouldn't, but anyway, the, that's what God is. God, so you know. That's something to think about now. We didn't get too deep into it, but it's something to think about. Are your sacrifices good enough for God? The sacrifices you're making to serve Him, or is it, is it going to be pleasing to Him? And I know we're pleasing in Christ, but is what you're giving God? I mean, Jesus talked about that, that standard that what God wants out of our lives is for us to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor. So. And some things are just not going to be accepted by God. What's that? The best sacrifice we have to give is obedience. Obedience. That's good. That's good. Well, Jesus talks a lot about that sacrifice. In fact, you can't even come into the kingdom without sacrifice. All around worship is this idea of sacrifice. It comes all throughout the scripture, this idea of sacrifice. Now, in the New Covenant, we don't sacrifice bulls and goats and sheep and all those kind of things. We don't sacrifice those things. We don't bring grain offerings and things like that unless you bring the preacher some eggs or something. But I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't know if that counts. <laughs> That's just a gift. We call it a gift, not a sacrifice. Um, but, you know, worship surrounds sacrifice. And now the Scripture says we bring a sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto Him. You know, and, and then obedience. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. That's a sacrifice. Now, doesn't that make sense about him saying deny yourself? Because what was the whole problem in Genesis 3? Well, they, they, they went, remember we talked about that? They went from a living soul to an exalted soul. And now Jesus is correcting all that and said, now, now what has to happen to that exalted soul, or what we'd call pride? What has to happen is that pride has to come down. And the only way you can come into the kingdom now is if you deny yourself. Or we may even call it humble yourself. We may say it something like that. That's why oftentimes when we pray for people to come into the kingdom, we come to the altar and we kneel. What's that kneeling all about? Well, that's, a, that's about part of that denial. That's that humbling idea. Cain and Abel. Now, what, what was... Some of the things about the Cain and Abel story that, that was kind of intriguing. Remember Cain's... Cain was mad. He was mad and he... he but what, what happened after Cain got mad? Before Abel got killed? Yeah, isn't that something? 
God came and have a com- had a conversation with him and said, now look now. And, and God really read his mail. If you did what was right, you'd be accepted. So God just read his mail and said, there's something wrong here now, boy. And you and I both know what it is. And if you do the right thing, it'll go, with, go good with you. But if you don't, then he said something really insightful. If you do not do the right thing and you stay on this course, he said something is, is waiting on you. What, what did he say? Remember that? He said, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to have you. It's going, it wants to devour your life. Okay? Hmm. Cain stewed on it a little while, thought about it. And which tree did Cain choose? Did he choose the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Mm-hmm. He did it his way, didn't he? And Abel paid a heavy price. Hmm. And then Genesis 5, your favorite, a genealogy, right? A genealogy. What, what did we talk about? We, we brought one phrase out of the genealogy. It is, it's like a drumbeat throughout the whole genealogy. It says that they lived this long, had sons and daughters, and they died. And he lived this long, 930 years, and he died. And he lived this 942, 969, and he died. And the genealogy in chapter 5 are from Adam to Noah. All right, so now, this is what I want you to do. All right, put, put your notes aside. Go Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Tell me, tell me what they are. Genesis 1. Genesis 2. Eden story. Genesis 3. The fall. Genesis 4. Genesis 5. Genealogy. All right, there you go. Whew. You're looking through the page, huh? All right, now, now just for you personally, now, what, we've spent several weeks. I mean, we've been going through this already for six, eight weeks now, something like that. Uh, what, what are some of the words or ideas that really have, have jumped out at you in, in chapters one through five? What, what are some of the things, just real quickly? I just love the fact that the animals came to, to Adam. The, that the animals came to Adam? Yeah, That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Because it was a little bit different world in Eden, right there. I mean, they, they weren't afraid of him, and they, they just came to him. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's interesting. What else? For me, it was that God warned Cain. He warned him, mm-hmm. and he still chose. I mean, I don't know. Just for me, which I guess I do a lot of things, but he's probably trying to tell me not to do too, and I don't listen. But yeah. Yeah. See, that's and that's that's how hard-headed we get in humanity. I mean, it's it's showing the real stronghold that sin has gotten in the world. You know, you think about that uh, because everybody that's ever raised a kid knows that, don't they? I mean, they will slam, look you in the eye, and lie or do something different than what you said. I mean, and dare you to do some of it. These new kids now they go crazy. My mom would be in jail with these new kids, I'm just going to tell you. 
it'd be first degree. It'd be yeah. So, so. But yeah, this idea of Cain. I mean, that God intervening into Cain, saying, "Hey, man, think of this through." Now you're not think. Now see, okay. Now think of the Cain story. That anger got in his heart, and that anger led to murder. Now, did Jesus put anger and murder in the sentence ever together? Remember, think about this. What did Jesus say? He said, the old law says, thou shalt not kill. That's not murder. But I tell you not to even be angry with your brother. Because that's where the anger starts. And kind of, I, 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 I don't know. I wonder if Jesus had the Cain and Abel story in his mind. Hmm. What else? What else in chapters 1 through 5? Because by now you've probably read it eight or ten times, right? <laughs> He he killed his own brother. He was that that tanked up about it. He was that that's, that's awful. Isn't it? Yes, ma'am. It's probably his sister or niece or something like that. Um, when we got into the genealogy in chapter 5, it said that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. So what the Bible is not, it, the Bible doesn't cover all the information about the history of humanity. That's not, it's not the history of humanity. It's, it's the history of redemption is what it's about. Uh, a sister or niece or distant cousin. Now they lived a long time. So stressed out. And, and we're not even sure if... There's there's possibility that Cain and Abel may not have even been the very first. They may have been the first sons born. You know, they we don't know. Uh, it, it's just not clear on all that. So, but yeah, he married his kinfolk somehow or another. But the circle was kind of small. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a few decades of sin kind of messes things up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so sometimes we go to certain places and we're like, yeah, the gene pool ain't real good around here. So, you know, I mean, something ain't right. Something in the water is what somebody said one time. <laughs> right. Well, there's a lot of things, I guess, that would jump out at us. Um, but it, it is something, I mean, I, I, I can't get past the fascination in Genesis 1. That God spoke things into existence. I mean, spoke it. That's the psalmist didn't seem to get over that either. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? You know, heavens declare your glory. All that kind of stuff. Mm. All right. Now, now think of this. Think of all this stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna follow along here. I got something that's not probably in your notes. I don't think I put it in there. Follow along with me on this idea. Now think of think of Genesis one through five. Think of it as, as, as a, let's, let's stretch out one through five over the course of a life, okay? And let's just kind of see how it kind of patterns out, all right? So God gives you a good opportunity. That, that's, and then he places you in a garden, whatever that might be. That could be a job, that could be a marriage, that could be uh, just, just a good life, a good place. And your assignment, is whatever, wherever he's placed you, your assignment is to live life to the fullest with God. 
It's this with God life. That's what, that's what Eden is all about. God makes Adam and he walks with him in the cool of the day. It's, it's about living this life with God. And God tells you that there's going to be tests that come along the way. There's going to be tests. There's going to be choices that you're going to have to make. Because love always has to be free to make a choice. Why did, why did God give man free will anyway? Well, Because love has to be free. It has to be freely given or else it's something else. It's, it's not real love, right? So there'll be tests. And there's, there's two basic options in this test. There's God's way or, or another way. Any, any other way is the wrong way. So that, that's what the test around. So with the test also comes temptation. The temptation to do the wrong thing. And the story tells us that there's a snake in every garden. So the good garden God's placed you in all the different places. In fact, when I, I do marriage ceremonies, y'all hear it in a couple, couple weeks with Hannah. Uh, I talk about marriage being your garden. This is your garden. God's put you in this garden. You take care of it and tend it. We find out, though, there's snakes in gardens, aren't there? There's a snake that's trying to talk you out of paradise, trying to talk you out of that delightful place that God has put you. And the tempter comes, and he's very deceptive, and he's very seductive. Now think about this. This is a life. This is our life. The tempter comes, and he gets you to make the wrong choice. But who's still responsible? Even though he's getting you to make the wrong choice, who's still responsible? We are. We're still responsible. And so the consequences begin to come in. And the garden is lost. And you think about how many things we've lost to this snake, to this tempter in our lives. And as the story clicks on, if sin is not eradicated, it's not ruled over. In fact, that's one of the things he told Cain. Sin's coming, and it's coming after you. It's going to pounce on you, but... Don, what did he say? He said, you should rule over it. Remember that part of the conversation she brought up? You should rule over it. So he's, he's dignifying us as humanity. We don't have to fall prey to this. But if sin is not eradicated, its power grows. And sin, it comes crafty, but it doesn't stay that way. It comes subtly, but it doesn't stay that way. We find out in the story, in our story, that sin is like a crouching beast. And it pounces. And it will literally devour your life. Jesus said it. He called it a thief. And that thief comes to do three things. What did Jesus say? Steal, Steal, kill, and destroy. Remember that? So now you think about that. And when you choose to do wrong, sin pounces and drives you to do the unthinkable. And I think about all the country songs I've written with my life. It all started with the decision. And I didn't think it was going to be all that. And the next thing you know, you're in the unthinkable. That, that's, that's Cain. And, and he was warned about that. You're about to do something that you don't think you're capable of, son, but you better cut this off right here or else you're going to be under. And then the story goes on. We hadn't got to this part of the story yet, but the sin left unchecked will lead to a flood of violence, chaos, and judgment that will wipe you out. That's the flood. When you think about all that, that, those pieces of the story, just coming one through five, that, you could put that into our story. That, that's, that's parts of our life right there, isn't it? You see, is it you, are you following what I'm talking about right here? So, 
It's parts of our life. So we're going to see some of this kind of stuff when we get to Abraham? Are there going to be choices? Is there going to be temptation to do the wrong thing? Yeah. And sometimes Abraham does the wrong thing. Sometimes, most of the time he does the right thing. But he's not perfect in it all. So, so you're going to see these things repeated over and over and over and over again. All right, so now, let's, let's do some Jesus stuff real quick. As it, as it relates to Genesis 1 and 2, who, who's got that John 1, 14 and 18? You want to, let me pull this up on the screen so they can kind of follow along with this. All right. Was it John 1, 14? All right, so now, now we're, we're pulling this in context of Genesis 1 and 2, all right? Just keep this in mind. Go to 14 and 18, Angelina. You want to read that? Oh, it don't matter. Go ahead. Just read what you got. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared. All right. So now, back up to verse 14. Now, we're getting this portrait of Jesus, but you really can't understand what this is all about until you get... Connected with Genesis 1 and 2 about humanity being created in the, in the image and what? And likeness of God. In Genesis 3, that likeness and image gets marred, doesn't it? It basically kind of gets lost through the generations. That's what the flood happened. The flood comes because the image is totally lost now. The likeness of God is totally lost in all of humanity except for one man. Hmm. And the word became flesh to what among us we beheld his glory... The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So now we, we, we looked at Jesus, John says right here, and we, who did we see? We saw the glory of the Father. Wait a minute now. Okay, now put it in Genesis 1 language. What we saw with Jesus was the image and the likeness of God. That's what we saw. And Jesus becomes this, what Paul calls the new Adam. Or the last Adam. All right? Now, let's, let's build on this thought. What's the next passage? Colossians 1, 15. Colossians 1, 15. All right. Oh, there's our word right there. It's point blank right there. Right? So, know, know that the Bible is like a hyperlink book. It's like this passage is connected to this one this one this one you got probably a study bible you see all these cross references that does that a lot of times the word itself will just connect you right as soon as you hear the word image what should you think genesis 1 that comes right out of genesis 1 and what we understand about jesus is that he is the image of the invisible god now who was created to be the image of the invisible god initially it was adam right so now jesus adam lost that battle he, he lost that that honor, that he was crowned with glory and honor, he lost that. Jesus comes and redeems that. This is what Jesus is doing. He's not, he's, he's not just doing away with sin. He's all, he's, he's, he is forgiving us of our sins, but he's redeeming something. He's redeeming this image. You see, In fact, Jesus will tell his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the invisible God. So this is, this is kind of deep stuff where he's connecting himself to what 
humanity was supposed to be in the beginning, that's what I am. All right. What's the next one? What's the next scripture there? Hebrews. All right. Hey, can you back up? You knew I was going to do that. Go to verse one. There's going to be a couple. No. Go back up to verse one. One, two, and three. I'm sorry. <laughs> God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. All right, so that verse 3 is really what I wanted, but I kind of keep it in, in the context of itself. Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express, what's that word again? The express image, image of, of God's person. Okay, this is who Jesus is. This is, this is why we worship him. This is why we follow him. He, he has redeemed for us, not just redeemed us out of sin, because that's only part of the equation. To get us out of our trouble, God just isn't just interested in rescuing you. He, he's interested in restoring you. Right? And Jesus comes and he shows us the brightness of the glory of God. That's what blew everybody away because they, they saw his humanity and then all of a sudden and they saw this, this flicker of light to come out of him that was absolutely divine. And the apostles put it together after the resurrection and they said, this is who he is. He, he's the image. He, he's the one. Well, if we connected it to Genesis 3.15, he, he's the snake crusher. You see what I'm talking about? We've been, hey, Carol, you snuck in here, didn't you? <laughs> no, I did not say that. I ain't got nothing to do with that. Get him. Throw something at him. No, she ain't. Do, do you see what, what the New Testament is, is doing with Jesus, how it's portraying Jesus as the image of God? Mm-hmm. And we had one more. What was the other one? I think it's in another group, isn't it? Let's go right here. All right, so now. How can I I say this? Jesus is saving us from what? What's he saving us from? Ourselves. That's a good way to put it. He's saving us from sin. And he's saving us from living our life on that low level. God didn't design us there. We, we went there on our own. But he's, he's, he's saving us from that life and saving us unto a, a new life. The scripture talks about resurrection life or being saved unto eternal life. And we think about eternal life and we just think about heaven and the, the by and by. But it's so much more than that. So much more than that. Now listen to this. So what, what is Jesus leading us into? Who's got 2 Corinthians 3.18? Miss Jenny? Therefore, since we have been reconciled by his death, 
Hmm. Okay, now. So Jesus is the image of God. Guess what he wants to recover in us? He's not just content for him to be the image of God. Now he wants to create all of these image bearers. This new humanity. You know what? When we come to the passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anybody be in Christ, he is a new creation. What, what's that all about? A new creation. We, well, we just say well, he became a Christian. Well, that's, it's, yeah, that's true. But you're a new creation. You're, you're a part of this new order of redeemed image bearers who are now to bear the image and likeness of God on the earth. That's who we are. Okay? Now, now, now think about this. What, what happened in Genesis 3 is we, we cast off God's rule. We say, we, we want to be in charge. We want to do our own thing. Forget this. I'm not going to be under your leadership anymore. Well, Jesus has a word for that leadership of God. He calls it the kingdom of God, which is the rule of God. He says something in John 3 in this conversation to Nicodemus. Remember that conversation? He said, in order for you to come into this kingdom, Nicodemus, you have to be what? What's the famous phrase? You have to be born again. You have to really become a whole new kind of person. God has to do something inside of you that makes you a whole brand new kind of person. That's the only way you can come into this rulership of God because the old guy just won't do it. He's always going to want his way. And Jesus says, if you want to come into the kingdom, you want to come back underneath the rulership of God, the way life was intended to be, you've got to become a whole new person. And that's the miracle we're asking God to do. Now, now Jesus talks about this image bearer, what Ms. Jenny just read, but we all, with unveiled face, he's talking about Moses, you know, coming back from the mountain glowing and all that kind of thing. He's making a comparison here. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, if you see Jesus, he is transforming you into the same image as he is. From glory to glory. Hmm. Think about that. So Jesus' idea is not just to wipe away your sins. That's not the only thing he wants to do. That's an important step. But that's kind of where we stop, you know, and that's where all our sermons stop. And that's where our Sunday mornings all seem to always go. But he's doing so much more than just that. That he's, he's wanting to transform you back into that image bearer to where you and I begin to look more and more. See, see, Jesus looks like God. Now Jesus is taking us, making us look more like him so that we look more like God. And, and look at what he says. But what you have to do is you have to behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. And there's something that happens when you, when you look into Christ. There's something that happens that he begins to transform you. See, that's why worship is so important. That's why worship is not just singing songs. It's not just that kind of thing. But when you literally spend time in the presence of God, whether it be in church, it, it, it needs to be in your secret place, by yourself, in your car, whatever it might be. You need to spend time with Jesus because when you spend time with Jesus, he transforms you into another person. That's why I know when you get sideways and you get all kind of crazy, you need some Jesus time. You need, we say it like this, you need to have a come to Jesus meeting. We know because we get out of shape like that, don't we? All of us. We're all. Mm-hmm. 
Some of them's got a little worse than others. <laughs> I didn't look at you on purpose. I'm sorry. <laughs> but as we spend time with Jesus, there's something supernatural that happens. He begins to, well, you, you know how it works? You know how it works? You can go someplace. If you go down to Louisiana and hang out with Cajuns for two weeks, guess what you're going to come back talking like? <laughs> what do you say? That's right. <laughs> because whoever you hang out with, they rub off on you. That's just the way it works. Whether it's at work or whether it's your friends, your church family, your family, whatever. whoever you hang out with, they rub off on you. Now you tell me, if you hang out with Jesus the way we're supposed to, he'll rub off on you. That's kind of what I see this. I mean, it's a simplified way to say it. He begins to transform us. And he's interested in us becoming that image bearer again. And see, we're just trying to make it through the day. And God's target is so much higher than that. You see what I'm talking about? This is where he's taking us. See, I mentioned it a few weeks back. Every now and again, you need to have a practice where you read Genesis 1 and 2 and Revelation 21 and 22. And you see the ideal of the way God created us to be. And you see where God's going to take us in the end. It's glorious. You need to remind yourself because there's a bunch of chaos in between. <laughs> All right. I think we're just about done here. Let's see. Now, I'm, I'm not going to spend much time here, but I, I just want to throw this tool at you. This is something that you can use later on. We won't have time to do it all tonight. This is something I ran across several years ago by a gentleman by the name of Doug Greenwald. I think his name's at the bottom of the notes there. His, his ministry is called Preserving Bible Times. He's just amazing, amazing scholar. He, uh, he, he recently went to go be with Jesus. Uh, but I had a few conversations with Doug. He's just a, a brilliant man. Him and this other gentleman, Jim Martin, they came up with these five storylines. Just kind of give you some handles on how to make sense of some of these stories. So the sweeping story of Scripture can be explained with these five storylines. God... Adversary, mutiny, human condition, rescue, and restoration. Let's put it together in, in, in kind of a, a form. Okay, so now, like every Bible story, it, it's, I, this is the way I get my sermons, it's the way I think through the Bible, it's the way I study the Bible personally, it's the way I, I teach you. I, I see it like it's like a well. Every story is like a well of water, and you've got to get your bucket in that hole and pull that water up. That's what scholars call exegesis, is to draw out. What's there? That's the idea, right? So this, these are five buckets to stick in, in that well of that story and pull up and see what comes up. Now, not all five storylines won't be in every story, but a lot of them will. So, so we're asking the story, what, what does this say about God? What does this teach me about God? His nature, his character, the way he acts, interacts with people, you know? Just what have we learned about God in Genesis 1 through 5? What have we learned about him? A ton. In five short chapters, we have learned a ton about God. I think the thing that's most telling to me is that, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, it's like God, he just could have just flicked them off the planet. That's what he did to, to Satan when he sinned in heaven. Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. So he, 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 he stood up on God and said, I will rule And God just... And after that lightning flash was over and everybody could see again, they said, where'd he go? It was just over. 
Why didn't God do that with Adam and Eve? He could have. But he came to them, didn't he? He came to them. He covered them. He still had to have consequences to it all. But he came to them. But he came to Cain. That's, that's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, really. Cain and Abel's story. It is so deep and rich. We, we, we scratch like the surface of it. And there's so many little nuances in the Hebrew there. We didn't get, get to cover. But I could, you know, I can't spend 14 weeks on every Bible story. I would like to. I would like to sometimes. God came to him. I mean, God came to him in the middle of his anger and seething jealousy and rejection, and he stepped right in the middle of all of that. He's the God who comes to us. So it's no surprise when God comes in the flesh, he comes. He, he's the God who comes. You see what I'm talking about? What you got? No, I ain't no doubt. I've been warned many a time. Now, I may run the stop sign, but I can't tell you, I can't say it wasn't there. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? It certainly does. So, so what does this story teach me about God, you know? Now, what does this story teach me about the adversary? We've, we've got an adversary. He's a big player. We, we, we've seen this in Genesis 1 through 5. What does this story teach me about the adversary? Well, what did we learn about it? He's sneaky, like he's crafty. He, he, he likes to take God's word and do what with it? Just twist it all up. Just get you to doubt it. Really. Just, he doesn't really care which way you go with it. He doesn't really care if you go into new age. He doesn't really care if you go into atheism. He doesn't really care if, if you go into some other false religion. He doesn't really care which direction you go. He just don't want you to go towards God. That's all. That's his goal. So he... he, he he, he wants us to be independent of God. But we also learned, we, we talked about that in our little review. We also learned that sin is the adversary, which later he becomes not just a snake in a tree. He's like this crouching beast that will tear you to pieces. And then the mutiny. That's another bucket we can throw down there. The mutiny. That's, that's the, why... You got pirate movies? You watch them kind of things? What's a mutiny? Overthrow. That's the overthrow. They take the captain and throw him overboard. We're done with you. Lock him up in the barrel somewhere. You know what I'm saying? Do something. It's a mutiny. So how, how is this, whatever story, how is man's mutiny or man's rebellion against God shown? Well, Genesis 3 is the summary of it. Genesis 3 is a summary, then the snowball of it is Cain and Abel. Then the next story is Lamech. And now the next story we're going to get to later is the flood. You see how sin, just the mutiny just keeps leading us into this snowball of catastrophe. That's where sin takes us. And the human condition. You begin to ask these questions. You just, look, these are all just questions to ask. Because of the mutiny, because of the rebellion, how has this impacted the human condition? Adam and Eve, they had some consequences, didn't they? You remember the child grief, the, the grief over your children being raised in this kind of world, the ladies? The man, he's going to just work himself to the bone. He's going to work himself to death and, and, and never, never get really what he wants out of the, the deal. You know, human condition has changed. And then now we always see God at work somehow. 
God's rescue and restoration. How is God working his plan of rescue and restoration? How is he doing that? He's always at work. He's always at work. Somehow, some way. All right. So th- these are like five buckets. These are five ways to go into the scripture. You can go into any Bible story, any, any Jesus story, any gospel story, any, any, any it works great for narrative. Go into any, any Genesis story. Well, I, I use some of that. And I, I may not say it like that, but I use these five handles right here, these five buckets kind of thing when I do my studies. And I think through the story and I begin to see it and draw out the truth. You got, does that make sense to you? Now, if I had my way, we'd pull that barbecue back out and we could eat again and we'd go back at it. And we'd go through Genesis 1-2 and we'd go through Genesis 3 and we'd go through Genesis 4 and I would go through each one of those parts and you'd make a list and you would start to make some notes and you would start to make some commentary on the Bible. When I ran my Bible school, that's what I did. I had them do that very thing. And you begin to meditate on these things. And you see things. Especially when you get to the adversary thing. You start seeing some things about him. And you start looking into your own life. And you know you've been played. You good? Alright. I, I just kind of needed to wrap some of that up. I'm sorry. To, well, not really. I'm not sorry. I shouldn't say it like that. But uh, we just kind of got to keep going over these things. Because these themes are going to keep popping up. There's always going to be a test. There's always going to be a choice. There's always going to be an adversary standing there trying to tempt, trying to pull. And there's always going to be consequences, even if they're good consequences. Sometimes they're blessings, right? You good? Questions, comments before we go? Hey, one more thing for you. Got homework. Go to YouTube, all you that do internet stuff. Go to YouTube and go to the Bible Project. And on the Bible Project, you'll have to find the video in, in some of their categories they've got. Go through the Old Testament and go to Genesis 1 through 11 and watch the summary of Genesis 1 through 11. You can watch whatever else you want to. They've got hundreds of videos on there that are absolutely amazing. You, you can get you a Bible college degree level education on YouTube for free right there with the Bible Project. I mean, it's it's amazing resource. Uh, I know y'all talked about it in Sunday school some, Janice and Sandy showed some videos and she uses them in some of her kids' classes, but they're, they're drawings. They, they draw out and simplify and lay out the scriptures. I've I never seen anything like it. It's amazing. So go, go get to Genesis 1 through 11 and let it piece it together for you. All right? All right, Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And Lord, it's well worth our diligence. I just pray that it just wouldn't be information to us, Lord. That your book wouldn't just be another story, but it would become revelation. It would become life to us. Help us. Help us to just be more hungry than we've ever been for your word. Because you sent your word and you healed them. We thank you, Lord. Help us. Help us to understand and comprehend. Even if we have to wrestle a little while with it all, help us to understand and comprehend more. Increase our knowledge. Lord, I'm reminded again, another prophet said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm. Help us, Lord. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name, amen.